It is a global race to get to a coronavirus-free finish line, and Nigeria is in the mix. The federal government's fight against the virus is in the spotlight, as it says $6.9 billion is what it will take to set the country straight. But where is this money going to come from? The World Bank? The World Health Organization? Maybe it's from the IMF. It looks like Nigeria needs a hero or maybe several. Thankfully, the private sector appears to be stepping up to the plate to try and save the day. There are those who are donating money. Some are building much needed health infrastructure, while others are using their expertise to try and halt the spread of the disease. Hello and welcome to NOW, our podcast which examines the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on all aspects of our lives. I am Kadria Ahmed. And I am Funke Treasure. In this edition, GTB founder, entrepreneur and philanthropist Fola Diola on the private sector coalition that is building isolation centers and intensive care units and donating them to cities in need. In terms of new beds, I've got 30 extra with the beds that were already there, making 60. Abuja got brand new 50 beds and then Lagos is between 20 and 30. Healthcare entrepreneur Temi Giwa Tubosun speaks to us about the mobile testing center her company has set up and why she believes it's the way to go. Genius level virus, and in evil is an evil genius virus. Um, so you have to test everybody because you don't know who has it. Nigeria's flying doctor Ola Brown tells us why everyone needs to be part of the fight against COVID 19. Every single citizen can take responsibility um, for the spread of disease in their own little ways, either by um, engaging in educational activities or just playing by the rules. We catch up with Nollywood star Shafi Bello, whose dulcet voice continues to preach a message that may well be needed in these difficult times. Yes, I love me tender. If you say you love me, I'll stay forever. Love me tender, love me tender. We begin with a look at how the private sector is rallying to help Nigeria to defeat the COVID-19 virus. Shokwe Martins reports. As governments around the world corral their resources to deal with the coronavirus pandemic, private companies have stepped into the breach with offers ranging from money to food and medical equipment. In Nigeria, which is largely dependent on oil export earnings, the pandemic has placed a toll on dwindling resources. On the 27th of March, the head of the Central Bank of Nigeria, Godwin Emifili, asked the private sector for help to realize the estimated 120 billion naira needed for equipment, materials and infrastructure to fight the pandemic. The private sector responded and the Coalition Against Coronavirus was born. Spearheaded by Aliko Dangote, president of Dangote Industries Limited, and Mr. Herbert Uigwe, CEO of Axis Bank, the coalition of leading companies across different sectors has been tasked with mobilizing private sector resources, creating public awareness, and directing support to private and public healthcare institutions. However, 
the coalition is not the only source of private sector help. With pledges pouring in from individuals and companies alike, the federal government, through the Office of the Accountant General of the Federation, announced the creation of five eradication support bank accounts. But with Nigeria's spotty history with funds diversion, the question is, will the funds go to the right places? I spoke with the chemist F. Young, head of research at SBM Intelligence, Nigeria's foremost geopolitical consultancy. Nigeria does not exactly have a very stellar track record in terms of public finance accountability. And that has been one of the key concerns by the host of observers and political watchers about the current effort by the private sector to contribute towards the national COVID-19 response. I am aware that civil society have come together and have made a commitment to keeping the government accountable. I know there is a civil society coalition against COVID-19, which an amalgam of um, some of the biggest um, NGOs, including um, the ones that have um, foreign parent bodies, which is geared towards monitoring the my organization. On behalf of this coalition, has been tracking such things as donations. And I would say for what we have found tricky in the course of doing this has been in tracking actual disbursement. In the country's economic hub, businesses have been shut for more than a week. I spoke with Otumba engineer Babatunde Alatishe, chairperson of the Solid Mineral Mining Group, about the state government's transparency in dispersal of donations. Chamber of Commerce, uh, we came together about a week ago and we put together a very nice package, mainly of consumables. Because of what we've experienced in the past, we decided not to hand over physical cash to the government. So rather what we did was we bought quite a, a large number of bags of rice, uh, of cartons of noodles, instant noodles, and a whole bunch of other instant consumables. Now, looking at the items that you donated, have you been able to track how those items were dispersed? No, not at all. I was on the Lagos State website, and they do have performance reports. And all of the Lagos State government's audited financial statements are, are, are on the website. So I would like to assume that eventually Lagos State would put something on their website where people can actually track the uh, donations. There isn't actually any way to track uh, monetary donations, both on the federal and the state level. It's very uh, sad. But we do have some private individuals that are trying their best to sort of be like watchdogs. Uh, there's a popular one that is always on the news. Is uh, The name of the website is followthemoney.com. And we have a few others like that. With Nigeria seeking $6.9 billion from lenders and the World Bank announcing 31.2 billion naira in financial support for the fight against the infection, all eyes will be on Nigeria's government to see where the resources go. This is Shokba Martins reporting. LifeBank, a company that was set up to improve access to life-saving medical products, is one of the private sector businesses that is using its expertise to help with Nigeria's fight against COVID-19. Working in collaboration with partners that include Sterling Bank, the company set up a mobile testing center, Timi Giwa Tubosun, the founder and CEO of LifeBank, tells us why testing is critical. The virus is a very smart virus. It's, um, I think, is a genius-level virus, and in evil is an evil genius virus. Um, the reason why it's, it's deadly and it's silent, um, and because it's silent, uh, because you could have the virus and you may not know, 
Uh, you can be walking up and down and transmitting the virus to unsuspecting people. Um, it becomes a problem to really actually um, arrest it. So you have to test everybody because you don't know who has it. Um, and there's a bit, you know, I wasn't really clamoring for expanding in testing until our community transmission kept going up. Community transmission means um, people are getting it without any history of traveling or without any direct contact with someone who has traveled. It means that this thing is deep in our population. Um, and that, what that means is you have to test everybody that you could possibly test. You cannot have a narrow case definition. You must, because you don't know who has it anymore. It, it was easier when we thought the people who had it are uh, people who either have traveled recently or had, um, you know, contact with people who have traveled. But now that's no longer the case. So you just have to test everybody because you don't know who has it. What are the number of tests that are ideal in every population? Is there like a percentage of the population that um, we should be testing that... Um, a medical professional such as yourself are sort of convinced that that is like the right number and how far off is Nigeria from hitting that target? So it's hard to say what the right number is. You know, there are lots of, um, some people say, you know, test more, um, but, you know, some people have, you know, bigger number, some have a little bit slightly, you know, less number uh, in terms of population. It's really hard to say. There's no, um, there's always to say test this definitely test this percentage of your population, but the reality is everyone says test as much as you can. So if we say you know got a million test kits and then we use it you know to test a million Nigerians, um, you know we're, in, we're we're doing okay. You know South Africa I believe is testing about uh, either five about fifteen thousand people. Um, and and we've only tested about that's fifteen thousand a day or in total because I know places like Germany are now doing about fifty thousand tests a day. Right. So you know Africa has its issues. Uh, you know testing is quite expensive. That I would tell you that. Uh, you know the cost of you know one test is upwards hundred dollars or above depending on what test you're using. Uh, so it's highly actually an expensive undertaking. So, and we don't have local production of this of the test kits. You know, we have to ship it out. There's shipping costs, and you have to ship this test in a cold chain. So those are sort of like expenses. So we're not doing as much testing in Africa as we could, uh, but there are countries who are doing significantly better than Nigeria, you know. And we're at war with this virus, and if we don't know who has it, then we're fighting, we're fighting blind. And it's really critical to just know the facts. And so this mobile testing center that you've managed to get up and running, um, how much um, testing are you doing and what are your sort of um, future plans for the center? What, what are your hopes and future plans for the center? So for the center, we just want to expand testing as much as we can. Um, but to be honest, we are in Nigeria and we follow the rules of the federal government of Nigeria um, and we follow the, the rules around case definition. So case definition means who can you test? Who is the suspected case? And who can you test? Uh, so because those definitions are still quite narrow, we are not able to expand testing to the general public. My, my, my goal is to really try to you know, make the case for adjusting the case definition to everybody who is in Nigeria, because the reality is the case, def uh, you know, th this thing is 
already deep in our population, is traveled around multiple communities. Um, we, the time to really arrest it is now, um, and the way to really get ahead of this thing is to relax the case, the case definition so that we can test more people and, now, and, and get to the end of it. So that's my goal. And if you succeed in persuading the authorities to change the rules so that you can do general testing, how many more tests can you do? What sort of capacity do you have? Right. The center has capacity to do about 200 a day. Um, we need multiple centers across the country. Abuja needs a center. Um, Oyon is a center. Any any any, um, I believe any uh, state in Nigeria that has more than five cases should have a mobile testing facility. Um, and of course, there's a case to be made about, um, and you know, for us, we can do 200 uh, tests in this one facility. Uh, Lagos probably needs many more facilities. All the other states with about five cases or more need testing facility. Let me ask you to explain a little bit about something that is um, unique to your own facility. You talked about people with cars and people without cars. That's because your center is designed as a drive-through. Um, what's the rationale behind that? Right. So infectious disease control is really critical when you have an highly infectious virus. Uh, so you, you, can't, you can't hurt people when when they come to get tested. It's really critical. And safety, safety, safety is what we've invested in in this facility. So the way drive-through works is the patient or the, 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 the citizen who's getting tested is in their car, which serves as a cocoon uh, to keep virus out, viruses out or their own, if they're positive, uh, keeps their own virus in and keep everybody in the facility safe. Um, so you can't do as much of that when you have a walk-in um, facility, although our facility has a walk-in section as well. What, what is the cost of putting together a center like this? It's quite expensive, you know. Um, that's one thing I would say. Uh, but it's also the cheapest option we have. We looked, before we did the mobile testing facility, the drive-through facility, we really looked at different methods, you know, uh, distributed testing, actually showing up in people's homes, uh, word by word. It's really an expensive undertaking. Uh, either way, but a, a central system where you're testing someone in a central area, where you're testing everybody in a central area, is the cheapest version of that we could find. To, to settle someone like something like this, a proof of concept in a new market, um, all costs being considered, it's about 40 million uh, naira. So it is quite an expensive undertaking. Um, and, um, and that can only go for about 2,000 people. Um, after the first 2,000 people, then you need to you know, order more tests, order more reagents, um, order more PPEs. Uh, but the, 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 the model we've built, the proof of concept we've built in Lagos, it's about 40 million to set this thing up. I'm assuming because this is your sector, you're talking to people both in government and in private sector that are very much interested in trying to get ahead of this pandemic. How hopeful are you that um, the authorities, both private sector, both government, um, are actually you know, committed to expanding testing and to making sure that, like you said, we stay ahead of it and that we take this option, which long term is the best option for the country? Right, so I'm really hopeful. Um, I understand. So I've been in public health for a very long time. I've been through multiple um, Ebola crises, 
in East Africa, in 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 West Africa, um, and you know I understand the the issues the government face. I appreciate the the, the concern. I know that they are valid concerns. You know, there's a significant shortage of isolation beds. Um, there is you know there is a need to make sure that our people know that if you test positive, you have to you know be isolated. Um, there's a lot of stigma. And everyone is concerned about people getting stigmatized if they are positive, et cetera. Uh, but for me, I think that we have to understand that there are trade-offs. Um, we cannot get everything we want. We can't, um, you, know, you know, we can't simultaneously say that, you know, this is a very easy disease to, to beat and then say everybody must stay home. There is sort of like a, a, a miscommunication there that needs to be ironed out. And there's basically trade-offs in all the choices. There are no good choices. There are no good answers. But there are answers that will keep, you know, a, a, a country safe in the long haul. And I think those are the decisions we need to start making now. We need to sort of like, now that the community transmission is growing significantly, um, now is the time to start changing policies and relaxing some of the rules that, that, that were found in the beginning of this, of this pandemic, but may no longer serve us because the nature of the virus is changing every single day, and we have to get out ahead of it. We have to be one step ahead of it and switch policy uh, before the virus shows us the reason why we should switch policies. So that's what I'm hoping the country understands and that we have to know that, you know, I, I read something last week that of the uh, 15,000 tests that have been done in South Africa, uh, only about 5,000 was done in government facilities. Majority of tests been done in in, uh, in, in uh, Germany. Majority of tests being done across the world is being done in private facilities, and the reason why that that is is not because I want to start a, a facility that's not there. With Life Bank is not a testing uh, business. We just did this because we had some experience in getting things up and running, um, and we have some logistics experience and execution experience, and we thought that could be useful. So I'm not, I'm definitely not saying this because I want to open a testing facility um, and make money from it. Our testing facility is absolutely free. There's no cost. No one is making money from this pandemic, and I urge people not to try to do that. Uh, but to me, I think it's really critical to sort of like stop trying to control everything because you cannot. Uh, in a country of 200 million people, you need to expand testing, and it's improbable that only government facilities can do the testing. So I think we have to get all, all hands on deck. Um, we have to change policy, change tact, um, and, and start using private capital, private experience, private expertise to help the country um, uh, respond. Dr. Ola Brown, or Nigeria's flying doctor, as she's popularly known, is another healthcare entrepreneur who is using her medical knowledge and business expertise in the fight against COVID-19. We ask her which area she's focusing on. There are three areas that we're working in right now with different organizations. Number one, advocacy. Number two, testing. And number three, treatment and isolation around media and uh, making sure that everybody knows about the virus and knows that, you know, the importance of the measures to take against the virus. The testing phase is around making testing accessible through a mobile booth, testing kits, and molecular labs, and training the people to work in the molecular lab. And number three is um, our sort of project with the YPO Center, 
which is based in the landmark in Onuru, and that's an 100-bed specialized unit for sick patients um, or with COVID-19. Um, it's an ICU, mix of ICU and high-dependency unit, where we're, um, which is designed to treat patients who are symptomatic um, from COVID-19. In the area of advocacy, what exactly are you doing and what sort of response are you getting to your advocacy? So um, we've been doing online and offline um, advocacy since February, um, telling the story of COVID-19, trying to educate people uh, both on online and uh, traditional media. And I think the response has been good. Uh, we've been able to reach a footprint of about 2 million people, um, which is significant in terms of our population, but not significant enough. So I hope the 2 million people that I can see will tell another 10 million people and 10 million people that they have told will tell another 20 or 30 million people um, because it's so, so important to get people singing from the same um, hymn sheet across the country in all their different languages, um, making sure that everybody adheres to these rules of social distancing because I think that this is one sort of situation in Nigeria where every single citizen can take responsibility um, for the spread of disease in their own little ways, either by um, engaging in educational activities or just playing by the rules and staying at home and avoiding non-essential travel. Okay, so outside advocacy, you're working on testing, and it sounds like you are bringing in um, so the sort of testing centers that we've not seen before. Talk to us a little bit about um, the sort of innovation that you're bringing to the testing um, facilities that you're bringing to Nigeria. So, um, molecular labs—we don't—we've never historically had that many molecular labs in Nigeria, and we've always had a situation where um, there was a lot of interstate travel of molecular samples, or samples that needed to be processed in a molecular lab. But now we need to build up that capacity, um, and our, sorry, um, our company has um, already helped. Um, a state this week um, to um, have their own molecular lab so they don't have to send it out, uh, send their samples out of state and we'll be continuing to do that, um, helping um, states and governments to build their own molecular lab capacity so that we can test more people and then isolate. If, you te if you're testing more people, you're identifying more people. If you're identifying more people, you're isolating more people. If you're isolating more people, um, then the curve is more likely to flatten because you're taking the highest risk people out of circulation and being a lot stricter in terms of their movement. Uh, the test for um, coronavirus is actually quite uncomfortable. I don't know if you've seen the length of the swab that they stick up people's noses, Kadira, but it's like massive. It's quite, you have to stick it right up the person's nose. It's quite uncomfortable, and you have to swiggle it around a bit um, and then um, put it into a viral transport medium, and then that goes to the lab. So um, molecular labs aren't actually the only bottleneck. There's also the bottleneck of sample taking. And when people can go out to a booth and get the sample taken in their communities, and that can be transported to a molecular lab, it improves access. Um, and the reason why Nigeria is so strict uh, about making sure that uh, the, only the PCR test is used, only the gold standard is used, is because they don't want what's called false negatives and false positives. Um, so they are waiting to see if any of the rapid tests 
can be verified by the WHO or can be acceptable by the WHO before they go into the rapid test. But right now, they're concentrating on the gold standard. How many molecular labs um, are you working on right now? And when will they be operational? And what sort of impact do you anticipate they will have in terms of the number of tests that Nigeria will be able to then do? So we've just installed one. Um, it will be working in the next few days. That's the first one we installed. Um, and the capacity is about 100 tests per day. And that allows the state to do its own tests without having to send, um, to send their tests out. And hopefully, um, we'll either continue with that model of installing in states, or we'll, um, we'll be able to put one, one very, very large uh, capacity molecular lab in a particular state where states will be able to send their samples there, or at least they get processed. Um, in a very fast turnover because the lab has a lot of capacity. So there's two ways that you can do this. You can either continue, we can either continue setting up smaller labs for states um, that produce, um, that can sample, that can process just enough samples for the states, which is a very good model, or we can set up a central lab that can process for a lot of states with a really, really fast turnover, which is super organized. And obviously that brings the cost of testing down due to economies of scale. How much do these labs cost to set up? It really, really depends. There's a broad spectrum of um, sort of financial arrangements and a broad spectrum of capacity. And it even depends on the reagents that you're using um, to test. Um, but some of them, luckily um, for a lot of the states, the corporates have also stepped in. Um, some of the private sector people have stepped in to pick up the tab for the lab. Um, so the labs can vary from anything, the cost of the lab can vary from anything from half a million dollars um, up until like one and a half million dollars. Um, it can be cheaper, it can be more expensive depending on the type of reagent used and the number of samples processed per day. That's just a very, very rough range, which is the PCR. And finally, isolation centers and ICUs. How's the work that you're doing around trying to help set those up going? So, as you know, um, people, some, a, small, a percentage of people um, that have COVID-19 get extremely, extremely sick, um, and they need help to breathe. And um, that's where the high-dependency units, the HCUs and the ICUs, come in. Um, some people just need oxygen support, high-flow oxygen support through a non-rebreather mask. Um, some people will need um, very aggressive monitoring as well which could only be done by um, experienced staff in a high-dependency unit um, type environment. And some people need to go into intensive care unit, uh, um, intensive care units and be intubated, put on a ventilator, paralyzed, and they'll need all sorts of other life support interventions um, to stay alive. This is the most expensive possible um, intervention that you can do for a patient, but it's still necessary. Um, and we're looking to ramp up those numbers as well um, to help those um, that are the sickest from COVID-19. Well, is all the work you're doing commercial or is it uh, part of CSR or is it a combination of the two? It's a combination of the two. So some of it is commercial and some of it is CSR. Mr. Fola Adiola is the founder of one of Nigeria's leading banks, GTB. He has spent considerable time and resources teaching many young Nigerians how to become entrepreneurs through the Fate Foundation, which he set up 20 years ago. Now the foundation is expanding its reach and contributing to the fight against the COVID-19 disease in Nigeria. Mr. Adiola explains what the foundation is doing.
so we set up a 250 million naira fund uh, to cater for three centers, Abuja, Lagos, and Abelkuta. Uh, and we went out to inform anyone that was open to anyone that was willing to um, contribute money to the project. And um, before we knew it, the support was overwhelming. And um, within a day, we exceeded a 250 million naira uh, target. And by the time we were uh, advising donors yesterday, we had reached a figure of 320 million naira, uh, slightly short of that, 318 million naira plus. Um, and what we did was to uh, capacitate Abuja uh, by expanding their you raised the money, and how did you deploy those resources across the places that um, you've listed? Okay, we didn't um, allocate the money as in Lagos is X amount, or Abelkuta is X amount, or Abuja is X amount. We just looked at the requirements of those three places. We didn't want to do anything that would be intractable, that we will continue to do endlessly. So we limited the number of beds we are going to deliver, Abel Kuta had the maximum, but not the maximum in terms of new beds. Uh, in terms of new beds, Abel Kuta got 30 extra, with the beds that were already there, making 60. Abuja got brand new 50 beds, and then Lagos is between 20 and 30. Uh, I said between 20 and 30 because the space that was allocated and the spacing required to determine the number of beds. They said it's a maximum of 30 beds, but a minimum of 20 beds. By the time we finish Lagos, Lagos is still being put together. It should be ready by Friday. By the time we finish Lagos, we will know exactly how many beds we are able to put in Lagos, but the minimum is 20. Okay. Um, but Abuja has been completed with its 50 beds, and Abuja has been completed with its 50 beds, uh, 60 beds. So, so these are isolation centers that you're setting up. Um, what about um, any contribution at all to, to ICU beds, um, intensive care units? Now, given the amount of money that we've been able to raise, uh, we're able to um, add two ICU units to each center by giving, enhancing the two beds to have attached to them ventilators. We've ordered for uh, 10 ventilators that we're expecting to arrive tomorrow uh, or Friday at the latest. So we're hoping that Abuja will have two ICU beds uh, with complete with ventilators and Lagos will have the same and Abekuta will have the same. We also kitted every center with sufficient um, PPE that should last them for four weeks, uh, uh, hopefully six weeks. Okay, so now the Faith Foundation, which you established uh, 20 years ago, was primarily designed to, you know, um, help young people and uh, look at uh, uh, the potential to become entrepreneurs as an, as an, you know, an extra way of developing entrepreneurship in Nigeria. It has been very successful. How does a foundation that is looking at entrepreneurship then take a decision to start doing 
um, uh, medical and health intervention. What, what was the rationale behind the engagement of the foundation in this COVID efforts? Okay. I founded uh, Faith Foundation purely for what you have uh, articulated. Uh, and about two years ago, I realized that um, philanthropy, independent of entrepreneurship, um, was what I was doing as an individual. And in, a, in an attempt to give form to it and give structure to it, we expanded the scope of faith uh, to a division that, will be, that is known as faith philanthropy, things that we do. Uh, uh, other than entrepreneurship. And the four categories of issues were of concern to us as a board. One was education, the other was healthcare, the third one was culture, and the last one was governance. And we didn't, we didn't want to be in every space as doers, so we decided that we would capacitate uh, uh, those four segments under peer philanthropy. If we know people who are doing things in governance that sit well with us, we will, um, extend, we will extend to them capacity in terms of money or in terms of whatever it is they needed to be able to deliver on what they are doing. Um, so we are sourcing uh, ideas for those. But then COVID came, all right? And we felt that, okay, this was something that we needed to do. Uh, 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 spirituality goes in that direction, and we felt that we should um, uh, do something quickly because at that time we were watching Italy, we were watching New York, we were watching Spain, France, uh, and the United Kingdom, and everybody thought that okay, if this thing came this way, uh, uh, with this anger, with this um, in this size, uh, we didn't have enough to support ourselves there. So let us put some things down, not after it has come, but before it comes, so that when, if it does come, God forbid, we'll be able to contain it, or to the extent that we can uh, uh, contain within the uh, capacity, in addition to what governments are doing everywhere. That's what inspired uh, uh, our, our focusing on isolation center, because we don't operate. We're not doctors. We're not health people, we're not medical people, we just wanted a place uh, that people can be isolated. But we wanted to work with people who had the capacity uh, to provide the software, the people where uh, to operate those centers. We would just capacitate them, and they can then do what they know how to do best. But nobody has um, taken money from us, and nobody, we haven't offered money to anybody. We've just put there uh, uh, physical things that they can use to deliver on what they know how to do. Um, understandably, sir, the focus has uh, of the COVID-19 uh, response, both from the private sector but also from government, has focused on the epicenters, um, Abuja and Lagos. But now that um, you've raised more money than you originally set out, um, to raise, are you looking at all to help set up isolation centers outside these three places that you are already operating in? Yes, we are. We are. We are ready if we continue to get uh, support of donors, and we are also ready to uh, increase the amount of money that we have put in. Uh, what What inspired these centers was, for example, the very first case in Nigeria. 
uh, spanned Ogun State and Lagos State. Okay, and if you look at the numbers, Lagos seems to be having a large incident of COVID. And then, uh, as that was going on, Abuja joined. Okay, and um, we felt that oh wow, if Abuja has joined, let's see what we can also do to increase the capacity and support uh, uh, those of our, uh, our citizens that live in Abuja. Uh, now, it has become very wide. And as we see the incidents uh, in other centers, uh, in other cities, rather, where capacity is lacking, we are willing to uh, increase the number of um, isolation centers to cover those places. Uh, I've been told that Casina now has recorded one or two cases. Kaduna is resting a few cases. Kano is resting. For as long as we see that these cases are there, I mean, we can't say that we're going to do uh, in 36 states. We don't know, but we keep telling our donors, we will keep telling them that there are other cities that are showing um, signs that this thing could be uh, uh, with them. Uh, if we can capacitate them with centers, we will look at it and go about it. We now have experience uh, on how to get an isolation center ready within a week or two, and we're willing to continue to do that. We, we are not just going to stop and say, we've done three, um, that's it. No, that's not the plan. Can states, um, either in the form of uh, government or um, civil societies, reach out to the Faith Foundation and say, hey, look, this is our situation in this state, please help? Or, I mean, is there a process to, to sort of appealing for this kind of assistance from the Faith Foundation? Okay, we're also getting data from the um, uh, NCDC, from the different governments here and there. What, what we're not able to do is to say we have a center that we are running. But, for example, if Casina is um, getting tested, and, I mean, when I say tested, challenged, and we can see that we'll call on the minister, Commissioner for Health or the Minister of Health in Casina and ask an uh, offer to help if they can give us a center that we can uh, 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 put all the things that are needed for an isolation center. We're willing to do that. We're willing to call on the Minister of Health in Kaduna. Uh, but we also don't want to call on them and not deliver. So we say to ourselves, how much money do we have? An isolation center roughly will cost us between 60 and 70 million naira every time we have that kind of fund, and we can raise that kind of fund. But we're also aware that the organized private sector um, has raised a large sum of money, up to $35 billion we hear. Um, the, the difference between what we do and what they do is that they are doing uh, the, big, the big thing. We're just putting uh, um, small centers uh, to begin to even capture the people as, as they arrive, where the big ones are being uh, have been finalized by the, by the uh, uh, pe people with the large pockets. Our own pockets are not large. So far, we've raised, like I said, 320 million naira uh, 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 rounded. Um, but maybe we'll get it to 400, maybe we'll get it to 450. So we are just going to the medium sized uh, donors who want to do something and need an efficient platform 
and uh, a trusted platform on which to do it. We will keep going back to them. And fortunately, they are not donors who commit and not pay. As they, as they commit, they pay. As they commit, they pay. And as they pay, we utilize the money to do what it is that we need to do. And um, so, sir, are you optimistic that Nigeria will beat COVID-19? Um, what I have seen, uh, particularly from Lagos, Abuja, and the Ogun that we have done, is that the governments there uh, have deployed resources, uh, both human and material, towards this. Uh, they, have, they, are, they are training people. For example, Lagos doesn't allow any center to operate without the operatives being trained by people who have already been trained in this. I, I, I think we took it um, lightly initially, but now I think we are taking it um, seriously. Uh, that's my own observation, number one. Number two, we keep looking at the number. We are not getting the number, thankfully, the way the Western world has um, received the number. And the rate of um, recovery, uh, judge, judging by Lagos, has been exceptional. We're not having multiple deaths or people coughing uh, uh, around the street. So it's either that um, we will overcome it in terms of it's not coming here with the same uh, 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 might that it hit the other, other places, um, or that our containment um, strategy has helped us in limiting the, in limiting the number. Uh, but if you get hit the way they are hit, even all these things that we're doing will, um, will not be able to cope. So in a way, maybe the one that created us knows our, our size and our, our limited uh, uh, might, and therefore we just be tested on that scale. Um, it's not what uh, anybody of knowledge ought to say, but we, we are not seeing the number in their uh, hundreds or everything. Total countrywide now is 200 plus. Every day it goes up, but it goes up in in small numbers. And the number that uh, uh, adds to it on the day is almost close to the number that is discharged from the treatment centers in in in, in Lagos and uh, in a few other other places. So we don't we don't know we don't know um, if it gets bigger then we can't have enough capacity, which New York doesn't have enough. So we should just continue to advocate. Advocacy is very key for our people to do the needful and to observe all COVID protocol. That is important. Stay at home. Singer and leading Nollywood actor Shafi Bello tells us how she's coping with the lockdown. We all miss our lives the way it was, the norm. Um, but when we're told to stay home, that's what we have to do as citizens, just to at least keep safe and keep our family and loved ones safe. What's your routine nowadays? Well, my routine is pretty simple, really. I read a few books. Um, I watch Netflix, <laughs> watch some TV, go back to reading. But one of the things that I have found, um, a friend of mine said something that was really profound, that... 
if you notice, the, the cost of living is what we spend money on, and the, the rest of it is just the cost of um, just spending time and just having fun. Um, if we all notice, our accounts have stayed the same. We're not spending as much as we used to. Um, so we've been home. I've just been reflecting. I've been writing. Um, I'm not that much of a writer, but um, a few things that I really wanted to do just to stay home and just um, get within. If we can't go out, we can go in. And by in, I mean just um, looking within yourself to see what are those things that you really like to do. Get a journal about writing, which is what I've been doing, writing my feelings, writing the things I would like to accomplish when this is all over, when we get back to the new norm, because I don't think anything is going to go back to the way it used to be. I have a, a group of friends that I am with, uh, very private, they're called GDP, and it's called Give Back Project. And what we do is we put money together, we've been helping um, some NGO organizations um, I am not such an advocate for putting everything that you do up there. So I do things quite privately. I spent money and they've been cooking and feeding people. It's not recorded, it's not televised, it's private, and that's, that's really good enough for me. Can you share with us what you've been reading? Well, actually, a friend of mine wrote a book um, not too long ago called I Am Better Than This. And that's one of the books that I've been reading. It's a life memoir of a house. Um, there's another book called Beneath the Surface uh, that I'm reading right now. And uh, if you can hear the pages in front, uh, uh, that's, what, that's the book I have in front of me. I finished reading I Am Better Than This. It's um, by a good friend of mine called Sonia. Uh, um, I'm trying to get the book because I finished reading that. It's Tommy uh, Adeomi. I'm better than this. It was launched um, a couple of months ago, and that's what I'm reading. And of course, I have here my Bible because the one place we can always go is the Book of Truth. Um, when we are all confused, uh, we we reflect and we go back to the Most High Thomas, which is God. Right. You've also been watching movies. Can you share with us some of the movies you've watched recently? Oh, my gosh. I've seen <laughs> so many since this lockdown. I finally finished The Heist. I have watched um, A, A List. Um, I have watched um, What If. I am now trying to start. I, I also watched, because um, I've never been, I've been so busy that I don't catch up on all the Netflix um, series that we have. I also watched How Get Away with Murder. Murder. I, I'll tell you the truth, I'm in my house alone. And one of the things that this thing does is it takes a toll. And one thing we can all do is to stay in contact with those we love. Video chat, we're blessed enough now. Um, during all the other epidemics, um, uh, we didn't have uh, the technology that we have now. So make use of the technology that you have and 
video chat and talk to people and hunger kills and that's another thing and which is why uh, the few friends of mine that we got together put money send money to this caterer and she's doing it every every day she's putting food out to people we can only do the best that we can it's it's a trying time it's it's really trying um but i think the best thing to do is to obey what the government has said stay home do the best you can by sending money to your loved ones that need it if you have it and for those who don't I just pray that they, the Lord will send them a comforter at this time. What are your thoughts regarding the incident involving one of your colleagues in the industry and the party and how everything has turned out? What, what do you have to say to that? Look, I believe we all make mistakes. And uh, when it all happened, uh, one of the good things that Funke did was, and I, I, I trust her heart. She's somebody that I know very well. It, it was a mistake. She came out and she apologized. I, I believe to err is human and to forgive is divine. We need to forgive and move on. Well said. Now, Shafi Bello, you're one of Nigeria's favorite actresses and um, celebrities. How can we forget your first appearance in the classic song, Love Me, Jeje? Can we just uh, have you sing <laughs> that famous hook for us? You're not going to turn me down. I think we're that lucky today. <laughs> I dropped that hat a um, couple of years ago. I'm not saying I dropped it not to ever sing. But um, uh, it's... it's oh, let's give God. it a try. Love me, Tanya. If you say you love me, I'll stay forever. Love me, Jaja. Love me, Tanya. <laughs> and that's it for this edition of Now. I am Kadria Ahmed. And I am Funke Treasure. <laughs>